Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Witham, and welcome to Season 2 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. In this season, we want to focus on practical discussions about unity within the Stone Campbell movement and beyond. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one so that the world may know. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast. Welcome to another Common Grounds Unity podcast. We're glad to have you with us today and are thankful that you join us week to week, or at least drop in occasionally on our discussions. Uh, I'm here with Tina Bruner. Tina, how are you doing today? All is well. Yeah, everything is really good. How about you, Kevin? How are things out there in sunny California? They are good on the West Coast. We're, you know, starting out summer relatively cool, so we appreciate that. How are things with Global Connection? Anything exciting? Global on Christian Connection, all is well. We are uh, working on some uh, projects around unifying and being a resource to churches that are working together to support uh, the Ukraine refugee crisis. So that's really exciting. Boy, good news. Good news. We have a great guest with us that we're very excited to have a discussion with today. Dr. Andrew Boachi is with us. And he is an author. He's an academic and scholar. Uh, He is a London-born author. So you're going to hear that in his uh, great accent as you listen to him speak. He's a historian. He's a lecturer in religions and theology at the University of Manchester. He holds a BA in theology, an MA in biblical studies, and a PhD in New Testament criticism, all from the University of Manchester, His research interests include the origins of Christianity, the Pauline letters, resurrection theology, masculinity studies, intertextuality in the historical Jesus, and some of his most recent work has involved advising Protestant ministers on issues of racial harmony. He also has a book that came out in 2021, Uh, so it's been out just over a year, it is on Galatians, and he co-authored it with Peter Oakes. The book, if you look it up on Amazon to purchase it, and we hope you will, not that he's pushing that. I'm going to push it a little for him. Uh, the book is Rethinking Galatians, Paul's Vision of Oneness in the Living Christ, and it's published by T.T. Clark. And again, you can find that both a hard copy or a paperback on Amazon. He lectures in religions and theology at the University of Manchester and at other universities like Leeds Trinity University. He is uh, married uh, to Chi and a father of two, a a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old. So he's been busy uh, just at home when you've got got him kind of coming out of those college years. He's a gym addict, former rugby player, connoisseur of obscure hip-hop music, and a a Spurs supporter. Andy, good to have you with us. And, and maybe just touch base there. How'd you become a Spurs supporter being London born? 
Oh, now you you're thinking of a, an American basketball or something. Oh, he's not thinking Tottenham. No, 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 no. I'm thinking Tottenham Hotspurs. That's a North London football team. Oh, uh, very good. What, what what you would call soccer, but what we call football out here. Absolutely. Well, I wondered if I didn't think it could be the San Antonio Spurs. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're we've got an international audience, so I'm sure there were many out there hearing me say that, correcting me at the get-go. Well, welcome. Good to have you with us. It's a joy to be here. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Yeah, Andy, I'm really excited to have um, just a conversation. One thing I found, uh, a quote that you said that you was attributed to you is, just like you can't have death without resurrection in the kingdom of God, deconstruction is a pathway to reconstruction. The only thing I would add is that I do not see deconstruction and reconstruction as a finite process. I am constantly deconstructing and reconstructing. Re- reconstructing. It is a circular dialectic ad, not simply a starting point and destination. And that was super interesting to me. So can we start off by you just giving us um, your definition of deconstruction? Yeah, thanks for bringing that that quote to mind. It it, it does make me think about what I, I think are the, the central aspects of of deconstruction. I, I first happened upon the term from the French philosopher Jacques Derrida, uh, and Derrida was mainly interested in philology and in language, uh, and he was he had a much bigger project. He was trying to sort of deconstruct capitalism. Uh, and, and the sort of power structures and, and institutions. But one of the things that he was very conscious of was that the, the, the meaning of words are unstable. Uh, and he, he tried to rethink words and even narratology by, by separating what he called the, the sign and the signifier. So imagine, imagine the word tree and what you conjure up in your mind when you hear the word tree the letters T-R-E-E in English. So those letters are a sign, are, are, a, are a signifier. But the sign, tree, is whatever tree you think of. It could be a Christmas tree, it could be any kind of tree. And so in that sense, it was inherently unstable. So what he thought was, what happens if you pull apart the sign and the signifier? What if you deconstruct language? And what he saw is that in these binaries, there's always a kind of a, a dominant binary and, a, and a, a less dominant binary, and that socially that had implications. So not only do we privilege uh, speech over writing, but we even privilege you know, white over black, Western over Oriental, male over female. But what if we started to look at the at the the, the non-dominant part of those binaries, what would it tell us about the world? So really, deconstruction for, for Derrida was about pulling the world apart and not being overwhelmed by its complexity, but, but, but really asking what are the components of our thinking and of how we develop worldviews? And what if we could pull apart the sort of the big magisterium, the big structures, and look at, at, the, at the components more closely. And how that term, I think, has in, evolved in social discourse, it's, it, 
it's raised the question, well, what if we what if we pulled anything apart in you know, even in the way that perhaps Rene Descartes did? What what if we pulled apart our institutions and that the any foundations of our thought or our traditions, what would we be left with? And could we put those things back together in a way that was more conducive, more encouraging, more helpful and more life affirming? And so in that sense, deconstruction is, is about, I think at its simplest level, it's about saying that the world is far more complex than we think, but that we shouldn't be afraid of that complexity. When we, when we start to look beneath traditions and ideas, we find that there are things which might need correcting, which might need reshaping, and that if we can grasp those things, even if that thing is our faith, um, then it, it, it could be it could be even more life affirming. It could be even more encouraging. It could be even more uh, helpful to society and uh, to the church. Talk a little bit about that related to your own journey, because you, uh, in conversation, you you reference deconstruction uh, in a friend where where they walked away from their faith. And yet I gather from you and you think in terms of deconstruction, it doesn't necessarily go there. And I think it does in the minds of a lot of people, but it's a dangerous word. But for you, it more bolstered and just changed your way of seeing things. Can you talk about that a little bit? There's some baggage with that word for a lot of people. There is a lot of baggage. And, and Tina already raised the point in, in the sense that um, I find that I'm deconstructing all the time. It's not that I see a problem and then think, right, deconstruct, okay, problem fixed, now I can get on with my life. But rather, I'm thinking constantly, um, why do we believe what we believe? Why do we hold to the things that we hold to with the kind of tenacity and conviction that we do? And just because we've believed something for a long time, does that mean it's the best way of doing it? And if not, what might we learn if we just step back from the institution and look beneath the surface. So probably, this is probably, oh goodness, we're probably going back to 1995 now. I had a friend um, uh, who I've not spoken to for a while, but we're, we're perfectly, you know, uh, there are no problems between us as such. Um, and he was a philosophy student at the University of London, uh, and he had real problems with the Bible and with the Christian faith. And he started asking questions of people who led uh, in in our community uh, and really didn't receive helpful answers. If anything, he had his sort of moral compass questioned for even raising those sorts of questions in the first place. So I did what any good young Christian does, and I went and armed myself with a bunch of Christian apologetics sat him down to read him the riot act and get him to to completely upend his position to see sense before it was too late um and he carefully i'm using the term slightly differently now deconstructed pretty much everything i said and at the end of it i found myself almost agreeing more with his skepticism than with my um rather naive sense of certainty so it made me want to re- and it's part of the reason i actually went on to study academic biblical studies um and it was quite helpful for me to do it in a 
institution like Manchester. Perhaps we can talk about that another time. Um, but people deconstruct for all sorts of reasons. And there are some people who deconstruct and become atheists. Some deconstruct and just become really suspicious of institutions more broadly or of their Christian community in particular. And others deconstruct and find that their understanding of the Christian faith uh, deepens. And that's certainly what I found. I, I, I take that dictum, which I think it was first described to St. Augustine, but it was, uh, I think, St. Anselm who made, it, who made it more popular, that faith seeks understanding. It's because I believe in Jesus, I want to understand his impact on the world and his impact on humanity. So deconstruction isn't a word that should make us nervous or, or afraid, um, but it has to be, well, it has to be, it, it, you've got to have the right tools to deconstruct, I think. Uh, and so uh, I, think, I think what's happened today is that the terms become quite fashionable and quite malleable as well. So different people's deconstruction journey is so different and sometimes so mystifying that it leads to places that ultimately is, is, is not anywhere near as helpful as they may have thought it was at the beginning. You, you mentioned having the right tools. What, what, yeah. what are your thoughts there? I mean, sometimes you buy this sort of flat pack furniture. I don't know if you have Ikea in the States, right? But, Everywhere in the world has Ikea, Andy. Right. Okay. And so you, you I, I, I thought as much, I just didn't want to assume. So thanks uh -huh. for that clarification. Um, and and it, it comes with this very precise sort of tools that you have to use to, to undo things and to re now just imagine you you can't get you you've built something and you can't get it through the door let's say you build a pram or, 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 a, or, a, or a cot a crib for a baby and you can't get it through the door and you think to yourself crumbs does that mean i've got to go and get all those tools and start undoing things to get through the door so you could just say oh look forget that i'll just get a hammer and i'll just bash this bit and bash it into place and then get it through the door and of course, by the time you get it through the door, what you're left with is not the thing that you began. And I think deconstruction can be a little bit like that. Um, we can just take a hammer to things and say, well, I got hurt in this church, or I'm suspicious of this institution, or that person said the wrong thing, or my group is out of touch with, with social justice movements. So I'm just going to get a hammer and start bashing my faith and make it, make it fit, so to speak. Um, and I think that's unhealthy. I, 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 my guess, my sense is that most people's experience of that is generally they swap one set of dogma for another and, and they're not ultimately fulfilled. So when I say the right tools, I'm, I'm not trying to, to sort of put a fence around what you can and can't question, but I am saying that it has to be approached um, much more thoughtfully, patiently you can't expect perfect answers overnight um i think there has to be some commitment to scripture even if it's uh it, e even if you take a, a sort of a different interpretive view than the one that you may have grown up with um and i think the thing for now i'll just speak personally that the thing which for me was so important in my own deconstruction my constant deconstruction uh is jesus that's what I find myself constantly going back to and reminding myself that 
we are not, as the Quran claims, people of the book. Right? The Bible is not the origin of Christian faith. It's the product of Christian faith. It's because people believed in Jesus that we have a biblical text. We don't we don't believe you know, we don't we don't believe in Jesus because we read because people read the Bible. And so ultimately it's Jesus that we have to go back to. And we can put our faith completely in him. Everything kind of that revolves sort of doctrinally around him, I would say, is open to question. But for me, deconstruction of Christianity is always about what is the path back to Jesus, even if it's unorthodox, even if it makes you think different things about Jesus than you you may have thought before, that ultimately that's where all Christian deconstruction ought to end. Wow, I love that so, so much. The path back to Jesus. You know, when we've talked with several people, not just in this series, but in other things, it seems like that in the U.S., I don't know if this is the same where you are, Andy, but people um, automatically, this may be too grandiose, but but this is what it seems like to me. People think that those that are in a process of deconstructing are immature in their faith. And so what, what would you say to, to that is how do you, how, how do you help believers understand the value of deconstructing, not as something that you're just not strong enough in your faith, but it's, a do you know what I'm trying to say? It's like, a, it's such an interesting thing. And I think I've seen myself do that when someone's deconstructing something that I'm not willing to look at. Yeah. And so then I immediately attribute, well, they just don't understand, kind of like you went to your friend. Yeah. So how can we how can we shift our response, approach, our our relationships with yeah. those that are deconstructing and be open ourselves to what they're learning? That's a really, really good question. Um, and in many ways it's a sixty four thousand dollar question for for those of us who know people who are, who are deconstructing and for anyone in church administration or leadership. Um, I think the first thing we have to do, and, and sort of Kevin hinted at this earlier, is that we've, we've, we've got to get away from this idea that deconstruction is a bad word. I think because what's happened of late is that you'll have some, you know, evangelical rock star who suddenly, for whatever reason, loses his faith and then goes on Instagram and says, right, I'm deconstructing. And, you know, it's it, it's often time follows a similar sort of formula. I grew up in a fundamentalist household and we grew up going to church and my parents were all ultra conservative and they all vote for Donald Trump and all the rest of it. And, and, and now they've got to a place in life where they've hit upon all sorts of questions, whether it's about social justice or sexuality or race or whatever. And now suddenly all the auspices of the Christian faith, all the things that it rests on, can't be things that you hold to without being known as a bigot and a racist and uh, a misogynist. And so suddenly you just have to... And if you have this view of deconstruction, well, then, of course, it will always be, you know, the good guys versus the bad guys. It will also be always be a question of... You know, it'll always seem like something which is, is inherently um, harmful to, to Christian faith. So that I think we've got to dispense with. Um, 
in fact, I'd almost, I'd almost, I'd almost dispense with the word itself, uh, and just think of this about, uh, think of the, the notion of deconstruction more in terms of rethinking and deepening. And this is why I said in the quote that deconstruction without reconstruction, and I was having this conversation with with John over email at, at one stage. Um, it, it, it's it's so much half the story. You know how they say that someone who knows half the story is always twice as dangerous as someone who doesn't know any part of the story. Well, this is this is very much the kind of territory we in we're in. When you, when when you start to kind of take things apart, you know, it's it's no different from someone coming and you know claiming to to be able to counsel someone. If you get someone to completely pour their heart out, but you then don't have the resources to build them back up again, you leave them in a worse state than they were before they came to you. The second thing I'd, I'd say um, is within the church and within church communities, we've, we've got to encourage critical thinking. So deconstruction, I think, has got to stop being a bad word, but critical thinking has got to stop being this really negative idea as well. I think the minute we hear the word critical, we, we hear negative and, and, and putting things down or, or throwing things away or, or calling things into question that are, are beyond question. Whereas, you know, that's not really what criticism is about. It's funny, when I introduce myself sometimes as a New Testament critic, people go, oh, you just sit around saying horrible things about the New Testament all day. Well, not at all. <laughs> Just like a film critic doesn't hate every film they watch, they, they analyse a film, they want to pick it apart. That's really what we're doing. We're saying if we, if we analyse our institutions, if we look at places where there are areas of weakness, if we look at where things aren't working, can we do this better? Um, and in terms of just supporting people who are going through their, their sort of... I, I don't like using this term, but I, I don't have a better one. Deconstruction journey... Um, the reason I say I don't like it is these words, you know, they, they become quite hip and start meaning all sorts of different things to different people. But um, if someone's going through a deconstruction journey, we've got to not assume that this is someone who has a problem in their faith. Sometimes we hear that and we think, oh, what, what can we do to fix them? This was precisely what happened to me with, with my friend. I thought, well, if he's if he's calling things into question, he's clearly got some problems. So let me go and help him deal with his problem. Let, let's let's get him right. Um, whereas actually, to to be a, a thoughtful church, one that says our faith is the most precious thing in the world, so of course we're going to be thinking about it and rethinking it, and thinking about how it absorbs culture, and thinking about how it uh, fits in with other philosophies and trends. And think about how it's talked about in various contexts and talked about in online platforms and talked about in various books and even talked about by people who've walked away from the faith. It's precisely because our faith is so precious that we do want to do that, that careful, thoughtful uh, analysis. And so if we know someone going through that kind of a journey, don't, don't treat them as a problem to be fixed, rather get alongside them and share in their questions. We don't have to have all the answers. But again, the, the only reason that we have a New Testament is because people were asking questions. People wrote to Paul and said, look, there's all sorts of nonsense going on in Corinth and people claiming to follow this apostle and that apostle. And as, as irritating as it must have been for Paul and, and, and as, as, as exasperating as it must have been for these young 
of him to have to deal with these young converts. When he could go to Corinth, he did. Now, on the basis of his own testimony, that didn't go so well. So he wrote a couple of other letters. We have two of them. We may have more than two. That's a separate discussion. Um, uh, but it's precisely because those problems exist and that Paul chose to address them and chose to address them in Christ-centered fashion that we have the letters of Paul. So the, these aren't these aren't problems to be fixed. Like I said, it may sound cliched, but it is a journey to go on. It's a journey of exploration. And, and I think if, if, if we have Jesus as the goal, then that, that, can't, that can't be a bad journey. It's got to be, a, it's got to be a, a, a basically encouraging one. It seems, Andy, like it, my, my history in our movement is that, that we were people calling for a certain level of deconstruction, to, to go back and reexamine your faith in light of Scripture, uh, not to destroy faith, but, but to, you know, get back to pure streams. Let's get back to the intent of, you know, the New Testament writings and try to, we, we would use the term, you know, restore that early church and its practice. So, so it seems like we're a part of a movement where deconstruction shouldn't be a scary word, particularly if the goal is to come out with a stronger faith. If you're sitting down with a college student and you're a lecturer and a teacher and they're, they're at this place of, uh, boy, you know, Andy, I'm, I'm walking away from my faith. I'm losing it. I've, I've found these flaws in our logic or thinking. What, what are just a couple of things you would advise them about right off the bat? Well, probably the first thing I have to say is that I, I teach at a secular university. So if if someone came to me saying that, first of all, I'd be shocked that they said it in the first place. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'd probably be sacked for giving pastoral advice to, to students in, in that respect. But um, certainly when I've lectured in, in seminaries or in Christian contexts, um, the first thing I'd say is, doubts are not an imposition to faith. I think we have this view that there's faith on one side and doubt on the other. I, I'd almost say that there's faith on one side and certainty on the, on the other. We don't have certainty in life, but we can trust Jesus. And so if someone has doubts and, they, and, and they're, they're thinking of, of walking away from the faith, on the one level, I have to accept that there will be people who walk away from the faith. That, that just happens. But I'd really want to get to the to the bottom of what people are feeling. One one of the things I think which is important about the kind of reemergence of of deconstruction is that a lot of it has been in sort of response to high profile scandals in big mega churches. You know, such and such person has has had some almighty fall from grace, and because of that, people are are suddenly questioning everything. Um, you know, because. Uh, one person has, has you know, um, had some kind of misstep, even if it's a, a bad misstep. Or alternatively, because they've been hurt in some Christian community. You know, they've been mistreated by someone who has some kind of authority. Or, or you know, their pain hasn't been listened to, or, or they've been going through something and it, and it hasn't been, it hasn't been treated like it's serious. And so, People deconstruct for all sorts of reasons. They, they deconstruct for academic reasons, but they also deconstruct a lot for what are more emotional and personal reasons. And I think you've got to get to the bottom of that 
and and that's what I would do with a college student. And again, I wouldn't begin with, oh, you're you're having these doubts. You're thinking of walking away. Therefore, you have a problem. Um, I'd encourage them that thoughtful reflection could lead them to a better place. And again, as as a as a Christian, I would say that they they've got to not see the goal as as sort of fixing their faith or, or even in the initial instance, fixing their community, but rather that the goal has got to be reconnecting with Christ. And, I, and what I found is that that gives you a, a remarkable clarity when it comes to then thinking about the broader problems, about the sort of clash of cultures that you get with, you know, uh, in, in the secular world, whether it's, you know, people with a different political point of view, or, or, or people who, um, even people who who may interpret a biblical passage very differently from you. If if the goal is Christ, it it, it provides an incredible amount of 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 clarity, uh, both intellectually and emotionally. Uh, and I think that's a much better way of uh, of attempting to move forward in in a deconstruction. Andy, what would you say about how much of even approaching deconstruction has to do with people wanting to peel back our traditions and our culture from what scripture says? And how might that apply to some of the things that you mentioned early on about racial justice or gender or those kind of things where where some people, I think, are in a, a place where the the culture and our traditions and whatever are, are at odds mm. with scripture because we see it through these lenses. How, how can we, how can we approach like seeing yeah. the different sides of that? Mm. Well, again, at the risk of sounding trite, I, I think um, we've got to, begin with love. Love has to be the foundation of our arsenal. Um, I think sometimes we we sort of brush up on scripture so we can win arguments, whereas what we should be doing is brushing up on scripture so we can connect with God. And again, I think that gives us remarkable clarity. I think we've got to accept that um, we are going to run up against uh, what are basically, or what will at least will feel like immovable objects. Uh, and just like the goal um, is not fixing everything, the goal is not popularity either. Um, and there are certain things, ho holding on to certain things will not necessarily make you popular. And at some stage, you've, you've just got to get comfortable with that. I think another thing is that we've got to remember that Jesus himself found himself, you know, as as up against it with the sort of religious ruling class on one hand, as he did with people, say in John six, who who didn't want to, in any way, amend their worldview because of the kinds of things that Jesus was saying. So whether you're a secularist or you come from the ultra conservative right, you, you, you you're you're likely to find yourself taking unpopular positions. You know, 
I'm, I'm, I'm sort of semi-familiar with your sort of political infrastructure. I don't know too much about it, but you're likely to be called uh, a, a bigot by people on the left uh, and wishy-washy by people on the right, whatever you do, if you're honest about your deconstruction. Um, but I would say that the, the, the church has got to be a lot more mature about the cultural contexts within which Christianity uh, uh, has to exist. There, there's, there's no, there's no non-cultural expression of Christianity. All Christianity is, is, is within some kind of culture. So whether it's in a sort of very conservative part of Africa or a, a very liberal part of, of Scandinavia, um, it, 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 it will come up against cultural motifs which, uh, which we kind of have to engage with. The final thing I'd say on this issue, however, is that we, we've, got to, we've got to be confident enough to say that we may not have the final word, even the final scriptural word, on everything. There are certain issues like the sort of some of the social issues that you mentioned to do with um, the role of women and the treatment of women or, or race or gender sexuality. It, it's nice to think that all of these things, we can just close the book on it. Yep. And, and end every certain, well, the Bible says, even within the Christian world, it, it's not that simple. And I think if we get just irate and treat everybody who sees things, even in scripture, differently as the enemy, then then a, a, a deconstruction will be difficult. And when we do brush up against the sort of challenges of, uh, of, of the broader culture, then we will just end up looking like, you know, either a bunch of, you know, bigots and woman haters and homophobes, um, or we will end up looking like a bunch of, of, of inflexible religious nuts. And I don't think we have to look like either of those things. Um, it's possible to have uh, conviction on your stance, but remaining intellectually open and, and wise. And wise in the way that, that, you know, St. James talks about wisdom, peaceable, pure able to listen to reason, though that sort of biblical wisdom, uh, you know, that, that, that is possible and it ought to be uh, one of our objectives. Andy, you have given us some, some great things to think about. And I think all church leaders are wrestling with how to help people through, you know, processes of questioning their faith, uh, questioning how, you know, ideas have come down to us and, um, well, we, we, I find this discussion just to provide, you know, some, some very thoughtful things that I think will be very helpful. We want to bring you back. Um, our time has flown and it, it's opened up other things in my mind that I'd love to bring you back for beyond what we're bringing you back for in our next podcast. But, um, before we close out on this particular subject, any thoughts, uh, that, that you would offer to our listeners or things that you wanted to say that would, uh, you know, help us in regard to 
being peacemakers and maintaining the unity of the spirit. I know that theme is near and dear to your heart as well. Yes, it is. Um, for a whole host of reasons. And like you said, we might have to get me back on the podcast to, to really uh, open up uh, that can of worms. Um, yeah, I, I would I would start by by actually being clear on what unity is. It's interesting there that you just kind of paraphrased Ephesians 4. Um, unity is something which is divine. We're not unified because we do the same things or look the same or, or have all the same doctrines or, or, you know, execute various, you know, spiritual disciplines in the same way. We're unified because we have all been baptized by that one spirit into one body, to quote the Apostle Paul. Uh, and that's a unity that's worth fighting for. Um, and we can peacefully strive for that unity. You see, when when unity comes from something man-made, you 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 don't fight for it in a brotherly way because you feel like you have to win. You know, if 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 unity to you means that the community does all the things that I tell it to, then if they don't do those things, well, you've lost. You know, you've lost that territory, and it then becomes it, it becomes this really ungodly competitive um, paradigm, which the spirit never, never intended. So I would say uh, approach unity as, as a divine gift and approach it humbly. Don't assume that you know everything. Don't assume that, you know, we have within the restoration movement some fantastic traditions which have their roots in the New Testament and which we've built communities on and which still encourage people to this day. But that doesn't mean that they're infallible. The only thing that is perfect is Jesus feel free to question everything but have jesus as the ultimate goal of everything uh, and let's let's create an environment where asking those kinds of questions doesn't make our blood run cold because we think someone's gonna bash us for it if if our again to use another phrase which has become on vogue if we create safe spaces to have these kinds of discussions then we can build the kind of unity that's come from the spirit I love that statement of taking it all back to Jesus. I also him. love, <clears throat> I'm Amen. sorry, Kevin, but I love the simplicity of unity is divine. Like that just, that is really powerful. And something else that you said, Andy, I've actually been taking notes on <laughs> during our conversation. Uh, biblical wisdom is possible. And I think that that is such a huge encouragement. It's a great reminder. Um yeah, I, gosh, I'm so grateful for this, Tom, and for you sharing. And Kevin, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You go ahead. No, that's a great thought, Tina. Thank you so much. I was just taking it back to, you know, it's all from Jesus. It's all for Jesus. It's all by Jesus, and it's all to be returned to Jesus. And uh, I love the way you took us to him as we close this podcast out. Um, he's the one we want to glorify and honor in all things. Andy, you've done well, at doing that, and we're so grateful for the conversation. What a great uh, discussion today. Uh, we're going to have you back to talk more about your book about Galatians mm. and the theme of Galatians and more. So let me encourage our listeners to join us again for our next podcast for another discussion with Dr. Andrew Boacci. Um, 
thank you for being with us, Andy. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It's been really, really encouraging conversation. Thank you. All right. Tina, good to be with you today. And uh, we look forward to being back with you next time. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you can't find a gathering in your area, we can help you start one. It's not difficult or time-consuming, and we'll help you out along the way. It really does simply start with a cup of coffee. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.